today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. He's not angry, standing in the street corner, condemning them. No, he's heartbroken over them. Oh, would to God that this would be our response when we see people like this. I think about what Jesus said. And he come to condemn, came to seek and save that which was lost. That's God's heart. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Varag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Pastor J.D. explores Jeremiah's worries about false prophets in today's message, revealing God's sadness for people who've strayed. God emphasizes his faithfulness despite human sin by promising a Messiah from David's bloodline. This teaching reminds us to treat the lost with the same compassion and love as Jeremiah did. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The chapter before us, uh, those of you that read ahead to stay ahead, you may already see what's ahead, but uh, it is arguably one of the most scathing indictments in all of Scripture, rivaled possibly by only Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, ironically enough, when Jesus rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees. I think this is probably right up there on that level. It is brutal. (laughs) And it's specific to pastors, leaders, and even more specifically, how it is that spiritual leaders cave to the culture of the day and bend and bow to popular opinion, and acquiesce to the pop culture of the day. And as we're about to see, the consequences are far-reaching. And the result is that people profane the Lord, forsake the Lord, and what always ensues is this walking after the dictates of one's own heart. Now, This is chiefly directed at the political leaders, the business leaders, certainly the spiritual leaders, first and foremost. However, and this is important, the reality is that the people were complicit in this worldly carnality. And I say that that way for a reason. See, they were accountable because they had a Jeremiah. But they rejected Jeremiah as a prophet and went after these other false prophets with a false message of false peace. And like I mentioned, it's going to get kind of brutal here and tough, but we can do this, right? Oh, it gets worse. Woe to the shepherds. Now, if you have a King James Bible, That word shepherds is pastors. The shepherds, the leaders, 
the kings in that day who would shepherd the people of God, the shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of, notice, my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds, pastors, leaders, who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Does this give you kind of a, an idea of what we're in store for tonight? Well, it's a sanctified strength, would you agree? And it's a sanctified strength as it relates to those shepherds, those leaders who scattered the flock, the flock of God, and did not attend to them. And that's exactly what they were doing. Verse 3, But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I, verse 4, will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. The inference here is that they were in fear, they were dismayed, and they were lacking, and they were starving because they were not being fed. Uh, if this brings to mind Peter and his exchange with Jesus, that's a good thing. Because Jesus querying him and restoring him three times asks him, Peter, do you love me? And the litmus test by which Peter would be measured as it relates to his love for Jesus was feeding my sheep. Feed my sheep. You can tend to them, you can tend to their wool, you can shear them, you can put oil on them, and, but if you don't feed them, they're going to die. They're going to starve. And that's what shepherds do. Loving shepherds, good shepherds, they feed the flock. Behold, verse 5, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, verse 6, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. And it's one of the many names of God that we have in Scripture. This one is the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sitkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Now this almost seems sort of out of place, parenthetical at best, because we just got done with this declaration and this pronouncing of a curse to those shepherds, those leaders who scattered the flock, didn't feed the flock, didn't tend to the flock. And then all of a sudden we've got this parenthetical prophetic passage about the coming Messiah. Why? Answer, <laughs> because 
this would rise to the level. What they were doing, Judah, would rise to the level of being so serious because of what was at stake. What was at stake? Oh, theirs would be the lineage from which the Savior of the world would come. And they're messing with that. Uh, God has to intervene, interrupt, because of what's at stake here. See, He has made a covenant and made a promise that He cannot break. What is that promise? That the Savior of the world would come from Judah, from the line of David, the root of Jesse, a branch of righteousness. And you guys are doing everything you possibly can to mess that all up. So I've got to come in, come back in, and straighten it out. So this is what I'm going to do, despite you. I have to. You can try and thwart it all you want, but you will not. He will come. The first time is the suffering servant, and the second time is the conquering king of kings. So again, why do we have this kind of inserted here? Because Jeremiah is speaking to the people, and God through him reminding them of what's at stake here. The Savior is going to come from you. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But, verse 8, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. The exodus was pretty big, and that was kind of the reference. The Lord God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, the Lord God who delivered you from slavery in Egypt. Well, no longer is that going to be the reference. Now, instead of that, in lieu of that, the reference is going to be the Lord God who brought you up out of the north country, Babylon. Well, wait a minute. So it's not Egypt anymore? I was really getting used to that. I got it memorized, and now you're switching it on me? Now it's going to be the Lord God who delivered you out. So again, we have a why question, don't we? Why? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Don't miss this, please. Think about this. Those in Egypt that God delivered out of Egypt were born in Egypt and knew nothing else. They were not in slavery in Egypt because of their sin and wickedness and rebellion. And God delivered them. So would you agree that this is a grander and more glorious deliverance by the Lord and the hand of the Lord? These people deserve to be taken into captivity. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they weren't there because of their rebellion. Whereas the captivity in, in Babylon, they were there because of their sin and wickedness. This and the previous verses, beginning in verse 5, speaking prophetically of the coming Messiah, the branch of righteousness from David, have this common denominator. It's the goodness of God, no matter how evil man is. 
It reminds me of David, and one of the takeaways for me personally, when we went through that study in First and Second Samuel, uh, we got to know David uh, very well, maybe too well. There was some information I would have liked to have not known about David. Like I could have totally gone without the whole Bathsheba part. If I were God, I would have left that out. God didn't. He put that in. And then to make matters worse, he also records with graphic detail about what David did and plotted to kill her husband. I I really didn't want to know about how he had Uriah come home from the battlefield so he could try to get him to go into his wife. And then, oh, she's pregnant. Congratulations, Uriah. But he didn't. And now David's got a bigger problem. So what does he do? He pens a letter, seals it, gives it to Uriah to give to his military commander. Unbeknownst to him, he has his own deaths in his hand. And it's carried out. And the the instruction is put Uriah on the front line, pull the rest of the troops back, and that way he's killed. That's exactly what happened. And it's very interesting. This again, I could have gone the rest of my life without knowing this particular detail. But when Uriah is killed exactly as David had planned, and it was carried out, word gets back to David. You know what David's response is? Well, it's the casualties of war. I don't want to know that. I want to know about the sweet psalmist of Israel. Okay, now we're talking. I want to know about this man who had a heart after God's own heart. We're good. But David the adulterer? David the murderer? What's up with that? I'll tell you what's up with that. It's not recorded for us to show us how bad David was, though it does but it's to show us how good God is despite how bad David was. And that should give every single one of us hope here tonight. God is good, no matter what. No matter what. Yeah, but I've been really bad. Have you talked to David lately? You you want to talk about bad? I mean, what he did, (laughs) and yet God forgave him. And God blessed him. And interesting, when David wanted to build a a house for the Lord, and God says, you know, David, I appreciate it very much. This is a very loose paraphrase, you'll forgive me, but I appreciate it very much. But you got way too much blood on your hands. You will not build me the temple. Your son will build me the temple, and Solomon would. But what did David do? Oh, he had all the resources. God had prospered him abundantly, exceedingly abundantly. So he purchased all of the materials and wanted so much to be able to build a house for the Lord. And what was the Lord's response? You're not going to build me a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. See, in the Middle Eastern culture, we miss it in our culture because it's the house of, the house of Wahid, the house of JD, uh, the house of David, the house of Jesse. I'm going to build you a house, your lineage. And the Savior of the world is going to come from you. Then, fast forward, (laughs) 
if I, again, this is why I'm not God. This is why you're not God either, because you'd probably do the same thing. After David did all this, I would have said, uh, deal, no deal. <laughs> uh, I'm going to find somebody else. I was going to have the Savior of the world come from your lineage, but after what you did, forget about it. You're fired. doesn't do that. He makes good on His Word, does not go back on His Word. It is a covenant. Here's another example, and I don't want to get too far into this, but it's very important. I think you'll see why here in a moment. You remember when God cut covenant with Abraham? That's where we get the modern day expression of cut a deal. Here's how they would cut covenant and make a deal, so to speak, in that day, in that culture at that time. They would take animals and they would literally cut them up and spread them out. I mean bloody and I, (laughs) and they would, they would walk, the two parties agreeing to this covenant would walk in the midst of those cut animals and they would vow to each other, if they broke that covenant, may what was done to these animals be done to me. They, they have a word for that. Deterrent. Okay, <laughs> I ain't breaking this thing. I, I'm not going to go back on this thing, because I don't want to be cut up like these animals. It was called cut covenant. So God has Abraham cut the animals, get ready, we're going to cut covenant. And here's Abraham, okay, ready. And then here comes God. And what does God do? Oh, He puts Abraham into a deep sleep. Sounds good, doesn't it, to have a deep sleep? But I mean a deep sleep, and then God walks through those cut animals and cuts covenant. And then Abraham wakes up and goes, wait, what, what, what? We're done. We're done here. Wait, I didn't, I didn't walk through. You don't have to. You're not making a covenant with me. <laughs> Let's be honest. You would break it anyway. And God's not going to be party to our disobedience. So it wasn't a covenant between God and Abraham. It wasn't a covenant between Abraham and God. It was a covenant from God with Abraham. He didn't sign it. He didn't cut the deal. He didn't approve to it, approve of it or agree to it. So you can't break something you didn't agree to. The point is, God in His goodness is going to make good on His covenant, despite how bad we are. Well, verse 9. Now this is where it gets, uh, this is hard. This is Jeremiah now. We get a Another glimpse into this weeping prophet's heart. He says, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome. Because of the Lord and because of His holy words, for the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse the land mourns, the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. You see what's happening here? 
Jeremiah true to form, and we're getting to know him, and we love this about Jeremiah. He's a very kind-hearted, soft-hearted man, very loving, and things like this really hurt him, so much so that he's staggered and he's stunned. I mean, look at this imagery. This, this idea, verse 9, of my heart is broken within me. He's in anguish, mentally, emotionally, physically even, because it affects you physically, psychologically. His bones shake. He's like a drunken man. He's just staggering, just cannot get his mind around how evil they've become. Who's become evil? The other prophets. Because of these prophets, the wickedness of these prophets. And the land is full of adulteries. Let that sink in. The prophets were adulterers, and everyone was committing adultery, and the land is cursed, and the wickedness is great, and it's evil. And it really affects Jeremiah. And notice the effect that it has on Jeremiah. He's not angry, standing in the street corner, condemning them. No, he's heartbroken over them. Oh, what to God that this would be our response when we see people like this. I think about what Jesus said, and he come to condemn, came to seek and save that which was lost. That's God's heart for people. You know, I, uh, I know I've shared this before, maybe it's appropriate to just share it briefly again, but God's done a powerful work in my own heart in this regard. You know, it used to be that I, I would just get all worked up and riled up and upset and angry and just kind of, oh, I would always frame it in terms of righteous anger. Well, no, not really. And then the Lord just got a hold of me and allowed me in His grace to see those people who were the objects of my ire and anger through His eyes. And it changed everything. And instead of being angry at them, I just began to feel so sad for them. I mean, if you really think about it, if the rapture were to happen, do you ever ponder this? I do. I tell you, it's, it's heavy. But if the rapture were to happen, and they're left behind, do you realize the significance of that? And what they're going to experience? And who's to say that they're going to give their life to Christ during the tribulation, be numbered amongst those of whom we affectionately refer to as the tribulation saints? I like how one said it, if you're not going to 
live for Christ before the tribulation, what makes you think you'll die for Christ in the tribulation? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you're enjoying these teachings in the book of Jeremiah, we encourage you to continue following through this series with us and to read on your own, too. God may reveal some things to you that you'll find interesting. In Spirit and Truth is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of In Spirit and Truth, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're at our website, feel free to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D. He also gives prophecy updates weekly that touch on the things happening right now. If you're ever in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you come join us. Come visit Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D., You can find service times and directions on our website. Once again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. If you'd like to access any of these things on our mobile app, you can do that too. Go to the Resources tab on our website. You can download from there. That's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Thanks for listening today to this teaching in the book of Jeremiah. We hope you'll join us for our next edition of In Spirit and Truth, where Pastor J.D. has much to share with you about what God's been putting on his heart. But until then, be thinking about what you heard today, what it meant for the people then, and what it means for you today in the here and now. Come learn what's coming up next here on In Spirit and Truth. Truth 